Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Nelson. I am here at Soma in my office. Been fighting a cough this past week, so I ask you to bear with me. If and when my hacking interrupts the flow of what's going on, uh, we're continuing in our series called Eastertide in Strange Times, and uh, I want to remind us that we are letting the lectionary take the lead in determining our preaching texts. I love being in the lectionary during this time, for one thing, because it helps keep us connected uh, to the whole church. And I also like it because it keeps us rooted in the liturgical calendar, and that enables us to order our time according to the major events and themes within scripture. Um, one thing that I tend to see a lot uh, on signs these days, be it in our condo buildings or parks or in the grocery stores, is this idea that we're all in this together. Uh, and we hear this from our government leaders as well. Grateful to hear it. It's a good and necessary reminder that we're facing this pandemic as a human family, that we're all part of the same story here. And in a similar way, the lectionary also reminds us that we are part of a common story, that our individual and communal human stories are always meant to find their deeper meaning and purpose in conversation with the story God is telling. So we're all part of the same story, we're in this together, and what's the trajectory of that story? All things made new in Christ. And that's pretty good news. So before we open up our text uh, today, let's ask for God's help, for grace in continuing to keep Eastertide as well as we're able in these strange times. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, the fact that our Lord is risen and alive and active among us. We pray as we prayed in the opening prayer this morning that we would keep you would keep our eyes open to signs of resurrection life wherever we find it. And this morning as we open up John's gospel and uh, listen to the words of Jesus, we pray that you would uh, penetrate our minds, our hearts, our imaginations, and uh, our very beings um, as we open up these scriptures today. In the name of Christ, amen. So, uh, you may have already uh, read the text, but again, the text is John 14 from 15 to 21. There's a link to it in the home liturgy. Um, I encourage you to open that up if you haven't already, or grab a Bible or an app. And there's also a link to the sermon slides there. Uh, we'll be sharing some quotes and things, and so if you wish to follow along with those, you can find that link in the home liturgy. John 14, starting at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you before long the world will not see me anymore but you will see me because I live you also will live on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. I wanted to offer a couple quick shout outs uh, as we open up this text. One is to uh, Scott McTaggart for such a good word last Sunday, which was Mother's Day. Uh, thank you for that, brother. 
And related to that, a quote by Rich Villadas, he said this, Mother's Day is a good time to reflect on Mary, the mother of Jesus, a witness par excellence. Just before Jesus turns water into wine in John 2, Mary tells the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. This one sentence sums up the entire Christian life, doing whatever Jesus says. I didn't see this until after Mother's Day, but I still had to share it because it connects to what Jesus is telling his disciples as our text opens up in verse 15. If you love me, obey my commands. Now, if you're like me, you've heard this verse as Jesus throwing down a bit of a gauntlet. Guys, if you really love me, show it by doing what I've told you. And in my study this week, I've discovered a slightly more nuanced take on this verse. New Testament scholar and commentator Dale Bruner has suggested that the first Greek word, en, can also mean when, as opposed to if. And he's convinced, given the context, that that ought to be the way we interpret it here. So here's Bruner's rendering of verse 15. When you disciples love me, you will be keeping these commands of mine. When you love me, you will be keeping these commands of mine. I really like this. And here's why. It doesn't separate love from obedience. They're still held together here as they ought to be. But in this instance, Jesus is not challenging or questioning the disciples' love for him. He's assuming it. As the following promise confirms, you will be. This is simple future tense, not a you should be imperative. Now, if Bruner is right, we can read this as a promise, not a condition. When y'all love me, y'all will keep my special commands. Now again, this doesn't radically alter the content of what Jesus is saying. In giving us these, this promise, he's still revealing that love will express itself in active obedience. But it sure changes the tone. It changes the way we hear it and receive it. To me, this fits way better than throwing down a gauntlet. Remember how Jesus began his speech, which theologians have named uh, the upper room discourse, basically everything between John 13 and John 17. John 14 verse one, which Scott uh, opened up last week says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, don't let this throw you. You can trust me. Recall the context of this upper room discourse. Jesus is nearing the time of his death and his MO is to comfort his disciples, to reassure them that though he's leaving, things are going to be okay. In fact, they're going to be better than okay. So let me suggest, first of all, that we love Jesus by trusting him, by believing into him. I love how Bruner breaks this open. He says, to want to believe is an authentic form of believing. To want to love is a legitimate way of beginning to love. All disciples want to do what Jesus says. Not many of us will ever honestly feel that we fully do what Jesus says. Isn't that good? It's so reassuring that the heart of God takes our intention, our desires that seriously that Jesus believes the best about us, even if we don't believe the best about ourselves. 
Bruner summarizes this way. If we do not understand Jesus' commands as gracious invitations rather than as legal demands, we will miss the heart of the gospel, of the entire gospel, he says. So, continuing in our text then, what are the gracious invitations that lie at the center of the gospel? What are the core commands that Jesus promises we will be keeping when we love him as disciples. There's so much good news in this text. We've only got time to touch on these briefly. There have been two, uh, I want to suggest, special commands of Jesus in the upper room context so far. The first one I suggest is to let themselves be loved. To let themselves be loved. Remember when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, John 13, and Peter's pride gets the better of him. In verse 8 of chapter 13, he stands up and says, No, you shall never wash my feet. And what was Jesus' answer? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Or as Justin Bieber put it, let me love you. Yep, just quoted Biebs. You uh, never know where good theology is going to come from. So Jesus' command, his, his first gracious invitation to Peter, to each of us, is to let him wash us clean, to believe into Jesus, to trust his love for us. And then, out of this never-ending resource of being loved, out of this well of believed belovedness, comes another command or direction, and that is to love one another. To wash one another's feet in the church and in the world. The second gracious invitation of Jesus is to love as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? Dr. Nancy Ramsey offers us a picture. The love Jesus wants his hearers to embrace is not an abstract philosophical concept, but the lived reality revealed in the life, relationships, and actions of a simple Nazarene who looks and talks like them and lives simply among them. He feeds the hungry, touches lepers, heals the sick, and speaks and acts toward women with care and regard. Love is seen in his life as service and compassion. It is also seen in his fierce protests against those who abuse this vision of the value of each person and the importance of an ethic of mutual regard and care. Instead of power as domination, Jesus invites those who meet him to imagine power that has as its goal the well-being of all persons regardless of social status. I watched a news clip yesterday where a representative of a group of pastors calling the governor of North Carolina to reopen churches uh, said this, If there is ever a time that churches need to be open and functioning and doing what God has called them to do, it's right now. To which I thought, yes, if by churches you mean not buildings, but communities of people seeking to practice the way of Jesus. Yes, if by being open and functioning, you mean being on the move with Jesus, doing what he did, praying and prioritizing and not buying into the lie that as Christians we are only what we do on a Sunday. And yes, 
if by doing what God has called them to do, you mean being appropriately present to people outside the four walls of our gathering spaces in ways that are safe and do not cause harm and seek the good of all people. Friends, can I just say there are some shady understandings of what it means to be the church during a pandemic. Now hear me correctly on this. I miss you all a lot. I know you miss each other. I know our kids miss each other. I miss being in the same room. I miss sipping coffee with you, singing together, celebrating around the table. This is not an easy time. But what if one of the precious gifts of not being able to do all these things for a season is to have driven into our bones the reminder that the answer to the question of where is God during COVID-19 is that God is not confined to our physical houses of worship or our offering plates or our religious piety. The spirit of the resurrected Jesus lives in you, in me, in us. God is alive in any community that wants to believe and love and obey Jesus. And it's God's spirit who enables us to love in these tangible ways. Verse 16, 17, once more. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus has promised to send us his own spirit, his own breath, his own inner life. <clears throat> Here and in the chapters that follow, he uses a special word to describe the spirit. The word is advocate. In Greek, paraclete, which literally means the one called alongside. To do what? to help, especially in critical situations, such as court appearances where one needs another to stand alongside oneself and give true and helpful, encouraging testimony and support. And this is why other translators use the word helper, the, the counselor, and the comforter. I'm coming to prefer encourager or true friend partly because the verb form of this Greek word most often is translated as to encourage or to urge, but also because if most of us were asked to name uh, what name we would give to the person who stepped in for us in an emergency situation, we'd probably call that person a true friend. And of course, when Jesus says another advocate, who is the first one? Jesus himself, the original paraclete or the OP, as the kids say. Now, Jesus also refers to this true friend as the spirit of truth. And as humans, don't we long for the truth? We long for what's real, what's authentic, what's true, and what's honest. And so the particular mandate of the spirit, we could say, is to constantly testify to this truth who is Jesus. Remember verse 6 from chapter 14, where Jesus declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. What a gift we've been given in the spirit. Now Jesus says the world can't accept him. Now here the world is referring to those who believe only what they can see. People, people that do not accept the reality of an unseen Holy Spirit. And as the church, we can't conjure up a visible spirit. What we can do is live in the world as a community of self-giving love. And then when you take the sum total of people throughout history, 
responding to the gracious invitations of Jesus to be loved by God and to love our neighbors as ourselves, you might start to move towards something that evidences the Spirit. Let's continue on. 18 to 20. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I will not leave you as orphans. In Jesus, we have an adopting Lord. We're not abandoned here. We're not alone. It's not all up to us. Oh, and by the way, Jesus says, when I come alive again, you will come to life as well. Can we even come close to imagining what it would have been like to actually see and hear and touch the risen Jesus? Those to whom he appeared must have felt like they were experiencing the most important event in history. And you know what? The resurrection did bring these disciples to life in their experience and in actual history. Even secular history has had to record the incredible spread of the early church throughout the, the Roman Empire. In seeing Jesus raised, the disciples themselves were raised. From despair to vocation, a sense of calling, and from desperate questions and confusion to tangible service. <coughs> And so just as the original disciples were raised, may it be so for us as well. Verse 20. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I thought about calling this sermon, Let's Get Mystical. That's probably enough to just say that, that I thought about it. It didn't do it. But on that day you will realize, Jesus knew it would take a while to dawn on the first disciples. My question is, how are we doing with this realization? Do we actually realize the lived dynamic of this relationship? I've been reading a lot of Thomas Keating in recent weeks. Um, Keating is a Trappist monk. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, so the late Trappist monk. And as one of the, he was one of the main developers of uh, Centering Prayer. He wrote this. We consent to God's presence letting God decide what he wants to do. God seems to want to find out what it is like to live human life inside us. And each of us is the only person who can ever give him that joy. Hence, our dignity is incomparable. We are invited to give God the chance to experience God in our humanity, in our difficulties, in our weaknesses, in our addictions, in our sins. Jesus chose to be part of everyone's life experience, whatever that is, and to raise everyone up to divine union. So love that. On that day, you will realize that you are in me and I am in you. A few weeks ago, my daughter, Adri, said, Dad, we really can't run away. We can't really run away from God. Do you know why? Because he's stuck inside our hearts. He's stuck inside our hearts. Uh, I need to share one last quote. It's Dale Bruner's translation of John 14, verse 20. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm just a bit of a Bruner fanboy. He says this in John 14, 20, Bruner's translation. On that day, 
you disciples will know for sure that I am locked into my Father and that you are locked into me and that I am locked into you. So today, artisan family, may you find grace to let yourself be loved by Jesus. May you find courage to love others as you have been loved. May you receive the help, the comfort, the advocacy you need from our true friend, the Spirit of Truth. May you know and experience the resurrection life of our adopting Lord, who has not left us as orphans. And may you know for sure that Jesus is locked into the Father, that you are locked into him, and he is locked into you.